WTF 2050 is proudly sponsored by X Energy, Solar Solutions for Tassie Conditions, AB Finance, Ethical Mortgages, and Unilux, Triple Class Windows. You're listening to WTF 2050. What's the future? Future. 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 30 years goes like that. I wonder. We've actually shown we can do these sorts of things. Without risk, there is nothing. Hello, I'm Anna Bateman. And I'm Leanne Minshall. And in today's episode of What's the Future 2050, we talk to Andrew McPhail, independent film producer, ad maker, and he talks to us about weightless exports. Yes, and as part of that, he talked about the games industry, which is becoming very big in Tasmania, and we got to talk to Paris from Secret Lab, a young Tasmanian who moved to Silicon Valley for quite a few years and has come back to Tasmania and is ripping it in the games industry. So have a listen out for that towards the end of the chat with Andrew. We started. We started by asking him what was it that brought him to Tasmania in the first place. Yeah, look, I ended up. Um, truth be known, I was um, my business suffered badly in the um, GFC, and so I needed to take some employment. And uh, an opportunity came up to work with. <laughs> it's like you fell upon hard times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, ended up needing to take some employment, and there was an opportunity. There was a number of opportunities, actually, but there was an opportunity down here in Tasmania, at Screen Tasmania. So I spoke with the powers at Screen Tasmania at the time, and they were silly enough to employ me. But the reason why I was really keen to come down is that Tassie at the time, one of the things about it, apart from its enviable lifestyle, its climate, all of those things, I jokingly said to the people in Sydney when they said, why are you going to Tasmania? And this was pre-Mona. So Mona hadn't really taken off at that stage. So what year are we talking? uh, We're talking 2010. Yep. They said, why are you going to Tasmania? I jokingly said, oh, look, rather than saying, look, I've fallen on hard times and need to take a job. (laughs) And because I have too many children, I ended up saying, well, look, uh, I actually am a climate change refugee. I said jokingly. Mm. And what's been extraordinary is that over the last 10 years or the last eight, nine years, I have people regularly ringing me more and more often in Sydney going, what the hell is going on? It's so hot up here. So I've really been just serendipitously, I ended up dodging a bullet. But it was sort of, I joke about it, but it was sort of one of the considerations. But probably the major consideration coming to Tasmania is at the time Tasmania was going to be the first state in the country to get the full gold plated NBN. At the time, um, it would have meant that if the gold plated NBN high speed broadband had gone in before the Abbott government got in and dismantled it, it would have meant that Tasmania would have had 93% penetration. 93% of the population would have had access to high speed broadband. What is it now in Tasmania? I'm not sure what it is now, but at the time, Mm. people said 93%, and I said, yes, that would make Tasmania the most connected jurisdiction on the planet. Wow. And so with Tasmania getting that sort of technology put in, hardwired in, it would have meant that Tasmania could have become very, very easily, or could become very easily, a really interesting digital hub. It could have been a state that could have provided digital services to the world. When I came and started working at Screen Tasmania, 
I um, ended up doing a seminar with YouTube and that had been purchased by Google. And when I spoke with them about the possibility of Tasmania having 93% penetration with broadband, they seriously said, and this was backed up later on, that if that was the case and there was more than one pipe coming in and out of Tasmania, so there was a second pipe going to New Zealand, they would have seriously considered moving Google's Asia-Pacific headquarters to Hobart. Wow. That's how impressed they were. Unfortunately, the NBN didn't get rolled out in the way that everyone had envisaged, and I'm not sure of the current statistics. But that was the initial sort of, I guess, attraction to come down to Tasmania. Tasmania used to have a very buoyant film industry with the Film Corporation in the 70s, and I believed it was closed down in the 80s. And so the film industry had been fairly dormant. And Screen Tasmania got started again thanks to Richard Flanagan, in actual fact, who lobbied the Premier of the state at the time, Jim Bacon. And it was Bacon's vision to go, yeah, that's a really good thing. And so they ended up, I think it was a million dollars they first put into Screen Tasmania. That That was in 2000. Okay. Very slowly over the 19 years it's been going now, but I guess since really probably about 2012 there really has been sort of a, a, a peak of interest in Tasmania itself, but also in the stories of Tasmania. Well, Sydney would have been an outpost, wouldn't it, obviously, from the old yeah. country, and then Hobart would have been the outpost of the outpost. That's right. And most of the interesting stories and things that happen tend to happen on the fringe. At that time, you couldn't have got much further fringed or out there than Hobart. Yeah. So it does make sense. Yeah, and it does. It is a really unique place. A phrase we often use on this show in the WTF is small enough to manage, big enough to matter, and that was you mm. who gave us that. Well, I borrowed it from someone else. I can't remember. Oh, OK, I could I? I probably heard it in a pub one night, I'm not sure. <laughs> but, yeah, look, Tasmania, that's the other comparative advantage of Tasmania is that it has a population of 520,000 people, but it's dodged a bullet because it was always considered an economic basket Bus- case. Yeah. Why it's dodged a bullet is it didn't have a huge economy, so it didn't have the rapacious developers that have bulldozed Sydney, large parts of Melbourne, but certainly large parts of Sydney. So a lot of the original colonial heritage has been, and its wilderness, has been preserved. Mm. Now where we're seeing issues in other cities around the world, we have a city like Hobart that's, you know, 220,000 people. There's 520,000 people in total on the island, and although it still has its challenges, I think in the future it has extraordinary potential. Its comparative advantage is everybody generally knows everybody, and you can get across different silos very, very easily, and thus that wonderful thing of saying, yeah, it's small enough to manage and big enough to matter. And that's its comparative advantage in many, many ways. One of the things that's really obvious here is that when you create a digital service or you create something online and you need to send it to your customer, you just hit send. It's a weightless export. Mm. So it just makes complete sense that if somewhere can be providing digital services within Australia or a digital hub as they call it, then Tasmania is really primed for that. 
So do you think we're a digital hub already or do you think no. we could become one? No, I think we could become one. I think if we could get that second pipe, I think really ultimately, I think if you have a government that really is committed to establishing that industry and actually developing that as a strategy, and it's a government on both sides of politics, you need the local government to be actually committing to build that industry because it's common sense. Mm. It makes sense. And we've got two amazing companies which you told me about, Savage Digital mm-hmm. and the other guys. Secret Lab. Secret Lab. Oh, yeah. That's why you couldn't remember it. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, right. it's secret. <laughs> it's secret. Look, yeah, as an example of the potential of a digital economy, of providing digital services, my understanding is the company Savage Digital started with four people in a bedroom working out of a house in Old Beach. They produced an illustration program for iPad, and it's sort of like Adobe paint box, imagine those. Um, theirs is called Procreate. And it ended up winning the Apple Design Award in 2013, which is sort of like the top design award that Apple could give. The other company is Secret Lab, and um, two guys who run Secret Lab are the world experts on a program called Unity, which is a game engine. And they generally travel the world and published dozens of books about developing again for iPad and developing for Apple in general on the Unity engine and they're considered world leaders in the field. And they're but two companies that are able to live and work in Tasmania and yet have a a reach around the world. And again, what are they selling? They're selling digital services, they're selling software, they're selling knowledge about... um, Weightless freight, is that what you call it? Weightless export. Weightless exports is the American term, yeah. And it's very easy for people to do in this modern day. The application of games is not just in entertainment. What's beginning to happen is it's called gamification. They're applying all of those games to all sorts of different industries, particularly the health industry, Mm. so that people can actually get educated by actually playing games. And it might be the pharmacist having to measure the right amount of medicine. The gamification is beginning to happen and it's beginning to permeate everywhere. So we're no longer picking up a novel or picking up a textbook. Mm. We're actually learning by doing in these kinds of things. So there's a lot of application for this kind of new technology or this new genre or format across a whole lot of different industries. We know that in mining, for example, there's a number of mines in Western Australia that are run from Perth. They're all run on remote control with robots. And so it's a form of gamification really there at the end of the day. Those big trucks that you see driven Mm. around The guys or girls who are getting their learner's permits are not getting into those trucks. They're sitting in giant simulators learning how to drive them. Yeah. Um, Just like we know that pilots, in order to keep up their flights, their hours, they sit in simulators and that one hour in a simulator counts for exactly the same accreditation on their licence as one hour in a real aeroplane. So the world is becoming more and more virtual. And that's a frontier, and that's really, really exciting. And I think Tasmania really has an opportunity to be able to play in that space Mm. if... The settings are right. If the settings are right, correct. You're listening to WTF 2050. What's the future? What's the future? What's the future? 
WTF 2050 is sponsored by AB Finance, an ethical mortgage broker and a one-stop solution to navigating the housing mortgage market. AB Finance are fiercely independent and can also help you with refinancing. To find out more, go to abfinance.com.au. Is that really connected with your work at Screen Taz, the digital side of it? or well, it is in so much as that with the latest, you know, the internet and all yeah. those things that have happened over the last 15, 20 years, we are Screen Tasmania. And so screens not only apply to film, cinema, but right. now it's going on to computer screens, so it's games. So we have a number of programs at Screen Tasmania, a couple of programs at Screen Tasmania to, to support the development of games. And there's a local company, a new sort of emerging company called Giant Margarita, and they're already but- making games that are being put up on Sony PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo Switch, and again... They're just starting out, but they're having great success selling their products around the world. Again, all from Tasmania. That's so exciting. Mm. 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 And so we're only taking very baby steps, but ultimately we do know that the future of storytelling will not be limited just to cinema and television. Mm. The future of storytelling is rapidly going into games. Mm. And with the game industry now already being, I think, 30% bigger than Hollywood per annum in terms of turnover or revenues. Gaming is where the future is probably going to be in the, the cutting edge of storytelling. So what types of things would we have to do in Tasmania to make it that hub? It's not about throwing money into specific projects as such it's really actually developing a strategy to grow that industry over time Mm. the and we don't have one at the moment um i believe we don't have a screen tasmania has a strategy but we don't have the wherewithal or the budget to be able to to make that happen Mm. we can support generally on a project by project basis rather than a strategic basis or because we just don't have the resources to do that yeah that's why you need a government commitment And I think there's a huge number of things that are attractive about Tasmania. I just think it probably needs more commitment in the broadband network, Mm. probably needs commitment in terms of the government maybe providing a second pipe out of Tasmania to New Zealand or back to the mainland. So it just mitigates the risk of only having one pipe in and one pipe out. Yeah. Film Victoria, which is uh, Create Victoria now. No, it's still Film Victoria, but out in the super agency of Create Victoria, they've made a concerted effort over the last five to ten years Mm. to really focus on game development and Mm. gaming generally. Yeah, and there's lots of great small grants. And even back as far as 2009, I was involved in a company. No, 2010, it was after the Black Saturday fires and they actually had development money to develop a game to teach people about fire. All right. And about, you know, what to do. and, And that went out to all production companies and... I mean, that was 10 years ago, which is... Mm. They're still building, and to a certain degree out of Brisbane as well. There's been a number of start-up companies there that have had successes with particular games. Well, Clive Palmer's got a game now, so I guess we really have arrived, haven't we? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But the the reason why that world is important is that the new cutting edge of storytelling and the way where all the, the kids are going, I guess, they're getting what we got out of film and TV, Mm. they're getting that same joy out of games in many ways. And in terms of storytelling and the way culture's working is that it makes complete sense that the world of interactive, of being able to interact with a game and become your own hero, 
is really going to be the thing that will, in many ways, push that oral tradition, that love of mimetic, that love of being able to be engaged in story. It's going to be happening in those formats, I think, in the future more and more and more. Governments are always sort of pitching for and arguing for and facilitating big projects that you can see or, you know, weighted export. Yeah. So, you know, um, Adelaide and Melbourne fought for so long over the Grand Prix and subsidised the bazookas out of it so they'd just get people in. But I don't see that type of thinking or assertive behaviour coming from governments on things like digital. Is, is there? Am I just not seeing it? Um. Look, I think, I think probably Tasmanians may not be seeing it, not just yeah. government generally. Yeah. The, the majority of Tasmanians may not be seeing it. But I think there's a historical reason for that. Because the land was so abundant, mm. Tasmania has been an agricultural economy. Yeah. It's always been wealth comes from the land, mm. wealth comes from the sea, wealth comes from the timber, mm. the forests, mm. wealth comes from the ground when you can dig up minerals. So it's been mining, forestry... Mm. Um, and agriculture that have been the dominant industries in Tasmania. I guess everybody still considers that is the future. Mm. Um, there's still that inertia, I guess, to be able to go, actually, the world is changing and those digital services are happening. Um, you know, our politicians on both sides of politics, on all sides of politics, are wanting those big, shiny things within three years. Yeah. You know, it's that they the can three, stand next to. Yeah. It, that they can stand next to. It's hard to it. turn the first sod on the new game, isn't it? <laughs> That's right. It is yeah. hard to turn the first sod on the new game. So... Like anything, you need to develop a strategy over more than a three or four year period. Just to circle back briefly to the screen stuff, I worked with Luke McGregor on Lukewarm Sex and was watching him and Celia Wright Rosehaven. And he told a lovely story about you, I think, in the two headed, or you said to him about two headed jokes oh, or something. Yeah. Can you tell us that story? Well, look, as you know, Luke is a Tasmanian and... Tasmanian uh, icon now. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's now an icon. <laughs> but at the time, he was a starving comic who left Tasmania, headed to Melbourne to do stand-up, ended up getting a small role on Utopia and met where he worked with Celia Bacola. And they used to spitball ideas for shows. And one of the shows that came up was Rosehaven. And as we know, it's now in its third season. We're hoping it'll go to a fourth season. But it's rating incredibly well. Um, very popular both here and in North America. When they first came, they needed support from Screen Tasmania and it was our strategy at the time to actually have an ongoing television show because ongoing shows mean continuation of production activity, um, a continuity of work for local Tasmanians and it just means that if it keeps going, you know, it's a good thing for the economy. And so we were really supporters from the ground floor at development and then we ended up putting a reasonable size of an investment we invested in the first show. But at the time, I think the head of the department that Screen Tas sits in said, um, we talked to him about the show and he said, they're not going to make fun of Tasmanians. They're not going to have two-headed jokes in there. <laughs> and I said, well, no, I don't think they are, but let me check. And I said to Luke, I said, Luke, you know, one of the heads of the department inquired as to whether we we're going to be, you know, taking the mickey out of Tasmanians with the two-headed jokes. And he said, Andrew, I've lived in Melbourne for five years. I've had two-headed jokes <laughs> for ages. <laughs> there won't be one two-headed joke. 
One of our great sponsors is X Energy, very cool solar company based in the north of Tassie. And just as Tassie used to export raw materials to the world, we're now in the business of exporting weightless exports. We're exporting knowledge and Power to the Paddock and X Energy are at the front of that knowledge revolution. X Energy is about much more than just producing solar on your rooftops. It's about how we buy solar, how we sell solar, working out the whole mess. X Energy is the company you need to talk to. Find out more at xenergy.net.au or on Facebook at Power to the Paddock. And we are joined here in the green room by Paris Butfield Addison, one of the founders of Secret Lab. Paris, thanks for coming in. Hello. How long have you been doing Secret Lab for in Tasmania? Uh, it's about 12 years as of this year, I think. Yeah, it's, it's a while. We're pretty old as far as game developers go. And it's not just game development, right? You've got uh, other so we, we do a lot of string. teaching. We do a lot of uh, educational material. We do general software development sometimes. We're mostly focused on teaching people how to build video games and building video games, though. So, yeah, it's a bit of a mix. And most people think of Silicon Valley, right, if they think of game development or something. I don't know. It doesn't think, oh, Hobart, Tassie, that's where the action is. But why are you here? Because uh, I love it here. I just want to live here because it's awesome. Uh, it's a beautiful place to live. I can walk everywhere I need to be. And it's great internet connections and really cool office spaces to live in. And it's a really, really thriving tech community, actually. We have a really small tech community, but it's really vibrant. It meets a lot. It has lots of you know good facilities and resources for people to work in. And it's actually much more helpful than any of the communities I've encountered elsewhere. So we talked to Andrew McPhail, and he talked about weightless exports. Yep. That's a term, obviously, that you're familiar with. Yeah. In terms of your industry and its growth, where do you feel you're at and what do you need to kind of keep expanding? So on weightless exports, most of our clients are not in Tasmania. So I think that's kind of the weightless export aspect of it. We build video games for people who are on the mainland sometimes and actually mostly overseas. So we build a lot of video games for the Americans and for the British and Hong Kong and stuff like that. Uh, We see our benefit as being we have a reasonably large concentration of skills in one place. So typically when you build a video game, you need to go all around the place to get the skills you need. There's actually a lot of people in Tasmania with the right skills in music, sound, video, narrative, uh, lots and lots of creative types in Tasmania, it turns out, who have never worked in video games but are really good at it. So we have lots of really good film people and book people and you know, literature people. Uh, so when people ask us to build a video game, we don't have to go very far to find the people to do it. So we're really focusing on selling ourselves as a place where you can come to get like a full-service game development experience and get everything built in one place. Uh, and I guess that also links to the challenges we're having, which are finding the right people to do things. Because they're here, they just don't really see games as a thing they do. They see games as a thing that you know children play when... It's kind of our job to educate them that's not that anymore. Hmm. Can you give me an example of that, of one of your games and its development? And So one of the games we're best known for is called Night in the Woods, which is an adventure game. We did not solely build this ourselves. We just contributed to the building of it. It is a game about a cat who drops out of college in the Rust Belt of America and returns home to their hometown to find it is not what they expected it to be like when they went home. And it's kind of a coming-of-age story, you know, disenfranchised youth, that sort of thing, presented as a cartoon cat. Uh, it's done really well. It's won a BAFTA award. It's won an Independent Game Festival award. and So an IGF award is kind of the peak of the games industry. Uh, and the BAFTA is obviously a BAFTA. Uh, and lots of other awards. It's done really well. It's kind of really hit a nerve with lots of people in terms of making them feel like they're understood. It's a t- storytelling game. And uh, one of the things we wrote, which we wrote for this game, is a narrative game development framework called Yarn Spinner which is a thing that allows people who are not technical and not game developers and not programmers to write these scripts for video games and allow the branching dialogue systems to work. So, you know, like a choose-your-own-adventure when you pick a path and then the story changes. We've written something that allows non-technical people to write those sort of scripts. 
And that space opened up a whole world of possibilities for creatives in Tasmania and around the world to use our tools to write games and do things they couldn't do before because they didn't have the technical skills to be able to do that. So that's really something we're trading off right now. And Night in the Woods has done really well because of it. From the consumer's point of view, if yeah. I, I'm not a gamer, yeah. but I've just listened to you for 30 seconds and I'm seriously going out to get one after this, but <laughs> how do I engage with it? Because in my mind, games is still like, you know, Alex Kidd or something, yep. like to get to the next level. What, what is this experience? If I buy The Night in the Woods, yep. I sit down, I turn my computer on, yep. right? And then take me through what I would do. Night in the Woods is a game about exploring. You know, you're talking to these characters when you return home and you're, you're playing this, this character that's come home from college and doesn't really know how the world works anymore. And you just engage with people, you're having conversations, you're trying to solve a mystery, you're exploring So you the are world. the character? You are the character, yeah. Right, okay, gotcha. And then it changes depending on what questions you ask? Yeah, it's a, it's a narrative. Like, wow. if you remember the old Choose Your Own Adventure books where it's like turn to page yeah. three, if you choose this, it's basically that in, in video game form. And the most sophisticated narrative video games these days are that on steroids with right. thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of script, voice acted lines for everything, huge narrative dialogue systems with choices to make and characters that remember things. And, you know, it's wow. a very sophisticated simulation system with a narrative layer on top. And then that's kind of inaccessible if you're a traditional script writer, right? Yeah. But with the right tools, it can be made very accessible and you can get people who are really good storytellers telling stories in a new way. And everyone is a gamer. I think 93% of Australians are gamers of some sort now. So. Oh, God, suddenly I feel... <laughs> I didn't realise I was you part probably of the 7%. Are. If you've ever touched like a mobile really? phone game or anything, you probably still played a game. So. Yeah, okay. No, I yeah. haven't done that, sadly. Mm. But this sounds really interesting to me. It's like being in a storyteller's group or something, but yeah. you can do it at home by yourself, which yeah. is great and sad at the same time, maybe. Games are really big. Games are like several times bigger than Hollywood now in terms of various measures we don't like focus on money but money is one that makes sense to a lot of people to measure by and games are like several orders of magnitude larger than hollywood in terms of how much money they make oh. um, it's kind of crazy do you play games uh theoretically i used to but i haven't had much time these days yeah it right. kind of ruins the experience once you start building games for too long because you start disassembling them in your head and oh, looking okay. at how they work it's like people who watch films and know all the locations it's kind of the same deal yeah for secret lab yes. like if you we're looking at kind of 30s in the future. What do you want for a successful industry and how do you imagine that in 2050? So looking forward that far, I would really hope that Tasmania realises that in addition to all the things that we're really obviously on the world stage for, like tourism and like high-end food exports and stuff like that, that we realise we have a pretty thriving tech industry that we shouldn't want to let suffer in any way. So I don't necessarily mean we need to give it money, but we need to give it support. It needs resources to allow it to thrive. So we need people in Tasmania who are, like, for example, Melbourne is a really big digital hub in the world of game development these days. Melbourne has a lot of lawyers who know copyright, trademark, IP law as it relates to video game development. And that's actually a really rare commodity. So some of the things we still need to go out of state for are people like accountants and lawyers, like these secondary skill sets that are required but not required 24-7 in a studio. We need to go out of state for them because we don't have any lawyers in Tasmania that know how game development works, right? And that's a thing. There's like media lawyers for film and stuff because we have a reasonably thriving film production industry, but they don't know games. So we need secondary talent. So in, in the future, I hope there's like a thriving industry of people who know accounting and finance and money and, you know, are hiring voice actors and stuff like that. Stuff like that is missing in Tasmania right now. I'd really like to see that happen. It may be a symptom of our size, but I don't think it is. I think there's other places that do this really well, like some of the smaller Scandinavian countries have a thriving game industry with that support network. So I'd really like to see us go in that direction and have a bigger picture of not just game development stuff that we need. Paris, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. What a great idea of Paris's and wouldn't it be great to have more jobs in Tasmania and create that whole network of support around the games industry. Thanks so much to Andrew McPhail and Paris Butfield-Addison from Secret Lab for coming in. It was awesome to talk to you.
And you've been listening to the second series of WTF 2050, proudly supported by the Australia Institute, where ideas matter. Thanks very much to our studio engineer, Michael Shelley, at The Green Room. Big shout out to our producer and music man, Fletcher Babb. Please check out our other episodes and join the conversation on our Facebook page and you can track everything on the website, wtf2050.net.au and you can, of course, listen to everything on iTunes and Spotify. <laughs>